0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. Some of you guys are going as a new face on the stage. That's okay. I'll introduce myself. My name is Matt. Uh, Alt-feltis, and it's very phonetic, so it's not hard to say it right if you just take the time to sound it out. I've learned that a lot of people don't actually take that time uh, to do that, but uh, just, just do your best when it comes to sounding it out. You'll get there, I promise. If you haven't turned there yet in your Bibles, turn to John 17, uh, and uh, we're going to spend some time uh, in there, uh, picking up in verse 20. I want to start by reading, reading there. It says, I do not ask these only with which you have loved me, may be in them, and I in them. That is a tongue twister of a verse. It's all these, all these different I's, and we, and them, uh, and they, and so forth like that. But I want to start real quick just by introducing myself. Uh, my name is Matt Altfeltis, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, let's just consider this our initial meeting. So my name is Matt, so on the count of three, you're going to tell me your name back. One, two, three. Thank you. It's good to meet you all. Glad you're here, uh, and just want to keep it keep it simple. Um, and if you would wear name tags for the next year, I'd appreciate that as well. Uh, well, at least I can say uh, I, I can say your name, and and you know uh, now now that I've heard it, I can say your name back to you and not feel dumb about it. But I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, somebody said, I thought you moved here from Colorado. I did, but I was, I was raised uh, in Phoenix, lived there until I was about 25, and I spent most of my adult life living uh, in Colorado and, and some other places as well, but mostly Colorado. People ask me, Matt, why is it you would move here? And I said, because of the weather. And if you believe that, i got a bridge to sell you. It's in Arizona, it's called the London Bridge. Uh, But the real answer is that God calls me and I'll go wherever God calls me to go. And it's a strange thing to think that I would peck up my family and move across the country 1,300 miles uh, to serve him in the beautiful state of Ohio. But he has and we have and we're here and we're glad to be here. Uh, I love doing just about anything outside uh, when it comes to just being outside, especially if it includes fish and guns. Uh, those, are, those are good things for me, and especially if it's with my family. Uh, those, are, those are important things for me as well. Uh, I like to cook. Uh, I do not like recipes, but I like to cook, and so that's, that's, a, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, some people say I make a really good waffle. My family does. I think it's the best waffle there is. I've heard some of you say you like to smoke meat. I like to eat smoked meat, and so you're welcome to, uh, to pass them my way. I have a similar face for many different emotions. And I've been told that I can sometimes uh, be very difficult to read. So here's some advice for you on reading me as I, as I say something. If you, don't, if you don't, can't read my face in that, I don't want you to assume that either I'm being snarky, I'm joking, or that I'm serious. My kids even have a tough time with it as well sometimes, Ben. They've known me for 15 and 17 years, and sometimes they're going mad, Dad, I don't have any idea what, if you're mad or are you happy? What's going on here? It's a tough thing. Um, So I'm also uh, pretty hard of hearing. I have something called Meniere's disease and uh, makes it real challenging for me to hear sometimes. So if if I look at you and you said something to me twice and I said what both times, just say it again. And a little advice for anybody else in the room here that's hard of hearing, you'll empathize with this, is that if if I say what twice and you go, just forget it, that's like the worst thing you can tell somebody that's hard of hearing is just forget it because you didn't give me the chance to engage in the conversation. So don't give up on us. Keep trying. Keep saying it. Say it louder. Say it slower. And then people say, Matt, you talk fast sometimes, and that's okay too. One final thing about me that I'll share with you is that I love cars. Uh, And to be more specific, I I, I think it's more that I just love to go fast, whether it's on an ATV, or it's a mountain bike, or if it's a motorcycle, or if it's uh, anything with a diesel engine, you get the point. I like to go fast. And I'll never forget the day that I was driving, and I wasn't driving fast because I would never do that in an unlawful way on a city street in any city. I was driving down down the highway in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was going north on I-17, hit Greenway Exit. You know where that is? Not a clue. So you're uh, I-17, and I'm going north, hit the Greenway exit, and I'm coming past it. My wife is next to me. We had been married probably just a couple years at that time, and as, as we're coming up on Greenway, I keep saying that, it means nothing to you, but it helps me. So I come up on Greenway, and I decided that I'm going to pass this guy, and I'm going to get off at the next which exit, which is Bell Road, by the way. And I changed lanes to the right, and right there in front of me was a mattress in the road. And I'll never forget that moment of going, oh no, and uh, the, the moments of not sure exactly what to do with that. But in that moment, I made a decision that I regretted. And that decision was to swerve to avoid this mattress at about 68 miles an hour going down the freeway. And as I swerved to avoid this mattress, I didn't hit it. I wish I just did hit the thing, because you know, back then, mattresses were a lot thinner, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But I swerved to avoid it, and I found myself out of control very quickly. I found myself, you know, meandering across the road and kind of doing this, this counter-steer back and forth. And I remember in that moment, it's amazing, in those, those long 10 seconds, I, I can remember everything that happened. I remember sitting there in the seat, and I had my hands on the wheel, whatever, it I don't know, It was just all twisted up, trying to counter-steer and stay with it. I was on the brake, I think, I look over, and I see my wife, and she, she's, she's there, and I, I didn't hear anything, really, I just remember what I saw, and she, it was something like, for her in the distance as she was there. And I remember seeing that. I remember looking and seeing the median wall as we were hurling towards the median wall. I remember looking down as I'm going sideways down the freeway at 63. I looked at the speedometer. I saw it. 63 miles an hour down sideways down the freeway. I remember looking down and seeing those little reflector things on the the lines. I remember seeing all that. It's just amazing the things that were there. But the median was approaching, and I saw all these things that were happening on the freeway. And I remember thinking this moment that I was going to die. I I mean, that that moment, and maybe you've been there. You're going, I've walked that road, Matt. I've been there. And I remember thinking that I was going to die, and I thought through all the things that I had not yet done. And I came to peace in my mind in that short time that I was going to do this and that I was, okay, it's over. The car is going to begin to roll, or I'm going to hit something, or somebody's going to hit me. Car did a couple 360s right down the middle of this three-lane highway. And when all the smoke finally cleared, I found myself facing oncoming traffic, and there were two semis coming at us. But they were not barreling down the road at 65 miles an hour. They were doing this. They were kind of side by side doing this to slow down traffic and to, to bring everybody to kind of a slow down pace so that they wouldn't run into us. It was an amazing moment to see that. It gave me time to, to get out of the way in the chaos of the moment. But the chaos of that moment felt very calculated all of a sudden. I felt somehow that there was some sort of bigger picture behind what was happening. And the verses we're looking at today take that chaos up, take that chaos and go up at least 10 steps. And it's a related, related to a story of a man who was born in a human body. He was born in a human body and intended for the purpose of dying for the sins of the world. But he didn't, he didn't end up in a life and death situation because somebody carelessly dropped a mattress on the freeway but it was so much more than even that. He came to the the earth because he chose to submit to his Father's will and to submit himself to, to the human form, and he lived the perfect life, the sinless life, so that he could fulfill the punishment which is required for my sin. And he chose to do that on my behalf, and he came to earth, and he did that. And when he had finally arrived at the culmination of his years of ministry, some 30 years of ministry time that he had, he was, he was at this point in John 17, and he came here, and he was praying. He chose to pray. I'm not sure if I'll have the chance in my life before I die to know that it's coming, but I wonder if I do, if I'll choose to pray. And I wonder what it is that I would say in that moment in those prayers, and what I would say, what I would say. And I think that, you know, I I, I think that for, for a lot of us, the ultimate purpose, understanding what Jesus did, he knew what his ultimate purpose was, and he knew it was upon him, and he chose to pray in that moment. I don't think kids think about it, but as I get older, I'm more keenly aware of how frail my life actually is. Instead of jumping off of something, I'll actually stop and think about it just a little bit longer before I do, and oftentimes talk myself out of it because I might get hurt. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're under, if you're under the age of like 25, you're going, yeah, whatever, dude. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but it's okay. It's okay. And as, as, as I've seen things like this happen, I become much more fra- understanding the frailty of my life. I've seen people I love pass away. My grandpa, when I was a kid, had a friend in middle school. I had a friend in college who died in a car accident. My dad is a police officer in the line of duty. And not that I dwell on this or lament the inevitable, but I know that it's coming. And I wonder that if I have time before I die, what would I pray? This was a prayer that seems to really indicate the wrapping up of Jesus' mission. Really points to what Jesus saw as being important while he was here. It takes place likely hours before he was going to be arrested, and he knew it. He knew why he was here. There was, no, there was no doubt in his mind he existed in this world for a purpose. And he was wrapping up his, his earthly mission. He knew he was going to be arrested. And he knew he was likely going to be tortured. He knew he was going to be murdered for the sake of our sin. He was going to be killed for that, no doubt. And in these chapters, it's incredible. In this chapter, it's incredible what he prays. If you look back at the first five verses, you'll see in the beginning, he starts by praying for himself. He prays for himself, and it's not a selfish sort of self righteous sort of thing, but he says this in the beginning. He said, Jesus, and Jesus had spoken these words, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Glorify your son. Glorify me, so that I can glorify you. It's amazing how that translates down as we go through these verses, and we see how the son suddenly, eventually, goes, "Lord, glorify, glorify them, so they can glorify me, so I can glorify you." It's this chain of glorification where it's we're pointing to God in the end. And Jesus says in these first verses, "It's not about me; it's about your glory, God, Father. It's about your glory." And then picking up in verse 19, he starts to pray for his disciples. And as he prays for these disciples, he prays that, that, that there would be help for them to remember everything that Jesus had given them was from God the Father. Again, he's pointing back to the Father saying, it's not about me, it's about you. But help them remember that all of the things that you've been given are pointing back to you, Father. He prays for protection on them, knowing that the world is going to hate them and eventually martyr most of them, kill them. And then he he prays that God would remind them, the Holy Spirit would remind them of his word, how it's truth, and it will guide them well. And then we pick up in verse 20, and he prays for the church. And the prayer is very simple, although it seems a little bit convoluted and twisted in the way the words are written there. But he prays for the church, and he wanted one thing, and that one thing was unity. And so the thing that really we see in these verses, we see the value that Jesus put on prayer, and we see it throughout his life, the number of times that he prayed, what he prayed, and even in the end here, not just the prayer, but also a call for unity, the call for together as a church. And not just the church that was going to be established immediately beyond him leaving, but talking about the future church and saying, church, we must be united. We must be united. Since this whole passage is a prayer, the emphasis that Jesus puts on prayer is clear throughout it. We're going to kind of spend, as we look through this, kind of spend uh, this passage looking with this shroud of prayer around it. So kind of keeping that as the the picture of like this, this wrap that's kind of around what we're saying, uh, what we're saying here. But the big idea is in verse 21, may they all be one, may they all be one. Very simple statement, very simple words, and they must have been a keen understanding of what he was asking them to do, to be one, to be united. To actually accomplish this means that everybody lays down their list of rights. I'm going to say that again because that should be something that especially resonates with us as Americans. Laying down our list of rights. I think uh, we tend to know our rights as Americans, don't we? We have this document called the Bill of Rights, and we know what our rights are. When someone's arrested, they're instantly told what their rights are. We call those their Miranda rights. And they know what their rights are in that that moment. Unity means that we set aside our list of rights. And when we do that, we bear witness to Jesus. We set aside the things that we say are important to us, the things that we say I deserve, and that's what we say when we say it's our right. We say we deserve that, and we set that aside, and we say it doesn't matter what I like, what I deserve, what I want. I am going to be focused on the one most important thing, and it's bearing witness to who Jesus is. I'm going to set all the rest of that aside. It's kind of counterintuitive for us, isn't it? It's tough for me. So listen to this and go, and go, this is something that, that I, I, I understand and I even like. And we get, we'll get to this. Uh, and, and, yeah, we'll, we'll get to what this setting aside really looks like in just a few minutes here. Um, but let me warn you, it's a, it's a bit of a tall order. What it looks like to actually set it aside is a bit of a tolerer. So Jesus prays that we will be united, united around the truth, and the truth is the gospel. So let's start by taking the opposite side of that, and let's start by saying, okay, if if we're talking about unity, what is unity not? So unity is not, first of all, unity cannot be the goal in and of itself, Unity cannot be the goal that, that, that we're aiming at. That is not the goal of it. And here's what I mean by that. People can be united around many causes and things that are not of God. Even in the name of God, there are people that can be united around causes that are not of God. And we, can, we sometimes get confused by, by those sorts of things, whether it's, I don't know, we can talk about different places and different sorts of things that we understand, whether it's what we wear, the songs that we sing. Debatable theologies are even far more divisive in the church like, like prohibition or even slavery. Things in our past of the church that divided the church. The goal should be unity with the, trust, with, uh, with the truth of Christ. And again, it's the gospel. That is the unity. And we can and should reunite on that which really matters. I read something this week, and I'll paraphrase it. Basically, he said, Unity is not achieved by hunting for the lowest common belief, but by common commitment to the gospel. In other words, not, so we're not searching for the simplest and most acceptable theology or the most acceptable thing that we'd like to unite around. That's not what it's about. It's about uniting around the truth of the gospel and recognizing that the gospel is the thing that we should unite around. Period. Period. Unity is also not uniformity. It's not uniformity. It does not mean everybody looks the same and does the same thing. We've all seen those pictures maybe, or maybe you've actually seen it in person. I've seen both, where you see you have this regiment or battalion of soldiers in perfect alignment. They're all wearing the exact same uniform, so you really can't see who they are. So, in essence, they're seemingly faceless and nameless and opinionless. However, they are uniform. They're doing the same thing. And this is not a picture of unity. This is not what I'm referring to here. We could look back on the passage that Pastor Fritz taught about a month ago in talking about spiritual gifts. And there's this diversity of gifts that's given to Christians, and we all lean into those gifts. And when we use those gifts, we strengthen the body. Folks, that is unity. That's unity for us. And that's what it looks like for us to take these these things that God has given us and use them. And when we use them, we strengthen the body. We strengthen the body. Doing not doing the same thing. We could look back on, on Fritz's message and see that, but it all looks different. And the way they manifest even in individuals can be diverse too, right? Followers of Jesus have unique gifts. Some can do this, some can do that. And it's been said this, and this is probably something that's said within a certain denominations of churches, but it, in, in, essential, in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, We have charity. We have charity in all things. Offering each other that grace. Unity in in things that really matter. When it comes to the church, this is found in the gospel. Once again, I keep coming back to that, but that unity, that gospel should be the rallying cry, should be the central unifying point within the church. We offer liberty on things that are arguable. We shouldn't die on hills that are rooted in preference. Unity is not dying on those hills. And we show love and grace in all things, no matter what it is. Always offering just as much grace as we want to receive. I won't beat the dead horse of what unity does not look like. But he does tell us what unity does look like. Gives us a picture of this in these verses here. And it means I boast in Jesus, not in me. Or a united way to say it, we boast in Jesus, not in us. And that can be said even in the context of the church as a whole. It's not just about Lighthouse Community Church because there are other churches in our community that are preaching the gospel. And it's the church global. It's called a kingdom mindset, recognizing that God's work is happening everywhere. We're doing our work here. God has called us here to do, to do that work. But it's not about me. It's a man by the name of Muhammad Ali. Maybe you've heard of him, famous boxer from back way back when. Muhammad Ali uh, was known for being a bit of a, uh, a loud mouth, said things maybe he shouldn't have said many a times, and uh, probably got himself in trouble. Stories told of him being on an airplane, got on the airplane and uh, got some turbulence, and the pilot got on the intercom and said, and said uh, uh, Folks, would you please fasten your seatbelts? Flight attendant's walking down the aisle, gets to Muhammad Ali and says, Sir, I need you to fasten your seatbelt. He looks at her and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. If you've ever known anything about Muhammad Ali, you can hear this. And the flight attendant looked at him and said, Yeah, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle up. (laughs) I'm not going to lean into my ability to somehow do it on my own. I'm not going to do it in my ability to try to tie myself down and do it to the best of my ability. And in the end, the unity that Jesus is asking for is a unity of relationships. The relationships that we have with each other. Beginning in verse 21, it points us to the focus of this passage. Jesus clearly wants there to be a unity among believers, a unity. He wants us to be one. And then he says something so that to not allow us to downplay how deep this rabbit hole actually goes. And he basically asks us in verses 22 and 23 that we, the church, be one in the same way that Jesus is one with the Father. In the same way as Jesus is one with the Father, and the Father is with him. And this statement gives us a glimpse into the nature of unity. And again, he's not praying for uniformity, but unity. And the reference here is to the Trinity. And if you know anything about the Trinity, you understand that each individual piece of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are unique in and of themselves, despite the fact that they are all God. They all have unique roles, unique pieces of what it means to be a part of this Godhead. They're not all the same. They're not single or an identical unit. We shouldn't expect or desire a kind of unity that blurs distinctions because those distinctions are real. They're distinctions that that are really powerful and important for us. And yes, we all bring unique gifts and talents and baggage and dreams to this family. But we're in this family together bringing what it is that God has made us to be. But keep in mind that we need each other. We cannot do it alone, and we're not meant to even try. Catch that. We're not meant to try. We're intended to be in community together. That's one of the things I love about Lighthouse is it's Lighthouse community. We're a family here. I may be the newest (laughs) member of this family here, but you all are my family here. This is my church. This is where, where I belong. And it's amazing here at Lighthouse that we need each other to do what God has called us to do, using our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to make Jesus famous in Hancock County and reaching 50,000 people for the, with the gospel. So, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, our goal is equipping the rest of you for work of ministry. My job as a pastor is not to do the work of ministry. My job is to equip you to do work of ministry. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm not doing work of ministry. That's not it at all. But it's walking alongside and equipping people to do this together, equipping believers to do what they do. To be a disciple of Jesus is not enough. To be a disciple of Jesus means I'm a disciple who knows how to make disciples, who knows how to make disciples, who knows. You get it, right? I'm reproducing myself. I'm doing this in a way that means that I'm, Well, I'm creating a legacy of people that are doing what I'm doing. And I believe that when we are not doing our part that God made us to do, the body is weakened. It stifles the gospel. It stifles the progress of it. And if there's to be anything that is non-negotiable, it is the gospel. That's our unifying heart. That's our rally point. I keep coming back to that. I believe that we are not doing we are not each doing the part that God has made us to do. We make the body weaker. In a very practical way, it means that we celebrate the unique chemistry that we have. We celebrate the diversity of who God made us to be. And we celebrate that in a lot of different ways. We pray together. We do evangelism together. The thing coming up in Fastoria next Sunday. We do it together because we're together. We're a family. We encourage one another. Here's a really important one. We speak well of each other. <laughs> Even when the other one's not there, there's something greater at stake here too. In verse twenty-three, it goes on where it speaks of the thing that's greater at stake. It says this in verse in verse twenty-three. It says the glory. Let me pull it closer here. Hold her eyes here. There we go. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In verse, in verse 23, sorry, in verse 23, in them you and you and me and they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Folks, that's what that's what's at stake there. When we're not united, what is at stake here is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The credibility of the gospel is at stake. The people on the outside looking in and saying. Really, that's, that's what the church is about? You no, know, not, not so much. Maybe you come from that background and you, you're here at Lighthouse because that's not what our focus is here. We're focused on the gospel and we're walking alongside each other. And the world is watching and the credibility of the gospel is at stake. And if we fail to be united, the lost and the watching world will see it and they will see it when so many congregations that don't. I read this week, one man said this, division in the church breeds atheism in the world. And sadly, there are many of us here who can share stories to that end. And it could be in some sort of passive way, but search your heart and know. Don't hold on to the hurt of the past. I went to church a number of years ago. I went to Alaska. I got to go to what they call Real Alaska, and it's a town called Nome. Uh, And if you know Alaska, it really is Real Alaska. You fly in on a small plane on a runway that's way too short for that small plane, and and I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Some of the best pilots in the world fly around up there. But I was in Alaska, and I went to this church, and I, I, I sat in this service, and it was a room that was too small for the number of people that were there. The chairs were too uncomfortable for how long we sat. The room was hot. There was no fan. There was doors. It was doors. It was really just an awful experience just, you know, from that. And then what happened is the preacher got up, and he started, you know, doing some things at the beginning, and it was really disorganized, and it kind of rubbed me wrong. And then the music people got up, and they started doing music. And I got to tell you, it was the most eclectic group. And Jenny, you really appreciate this, but it was really one of the most eclectic groups of musicians I've ever seen. There's a guy in a trombone. That was really kind of the lead musical instrument there. It was really bizarre. The next thing, and if you have any trombone players, God bless you. It really, it really is an important piece. There was another guy that was, a, that was a percussionist, and he had a shaker and a tambourine, and he had this piece of wood with a pedal like, a, like from a kick drum where you hit it, and it's like, thunk, and it was the worst sound. It, was, it just did not sound good. And then the lady that was leading it was playing a ukulele, and from my hearing point, she was tone deaf. It was not pretty and the pastor was up there and he was singing with them, and so forth and it was really awkward and I must have been making faces and while it was happening to kind of uh, let the pastor know I wasn't happy with it or whatever it just seemed odd but my heart was not in the right place in that moment (laughs) and we got done with the service and the pastor preached this sermon and he got done and he came down he's standing by the door and he went out of his way to grab me on the way out and he goes hey Matt it's good to have you here this morning what'd you think Oh, it was great, Pastor. Thanks for you know. And he and he kind of took one step closer. He goes, "So what'd you think?" You know, Pastor. It's, you know, you got you guys. You guys are working with what you got. You know, good job. He goes, "What did you think?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, he asked three times, so I'm not going to turn him down." So I told him what I thought. I told him. I said, "Man, it was really," and I just, I don't even know what all I said, and I'm sure it wasn't very kind. <laughs> And he looked at me, and he, he asked me one simple question. He said, so answer me this. What part of what happened here today didn't glorify God? And I said, I said, well, I mean, I think it was all great. He goes, no, no, listen to the question. What part of what happened here in this room today did not glorify God? And his point was me. I was the one who wasn't glorifying God. I was living in an ununified sort of way with the body of Christ, and it wasn't even my church, but he recognized that the church is bigger than that, and he knew that my heart wasn't in the right place, and when it comes to being unified, sometimes that means that we're in places we're not comfortable with. We're doing things that we're not used to, and in the end, we're standing there going, ah, I've made it about me. Unity means I'm not doing that. It goes on the good news is that the opposite is true. The United Church demonstrates a life change and a powerful truth to the world. And the United Church means it starts with me, making sure my heart is in the right place, making sure I'm coming and I'm bringing that sacrifice of praise, that sacrifice of love, and I'm coming with my heart in the right place. And finally in this passage in in verse 24, he wants to see the reconciliation of believers back to him. It's so easy for us to doubt God's true intentions for us sometimes. To really doubt that. I'm not sure if you've been there. I've been there and I've done that many a times. But think back in Exodus, it seems that God, seems to be that the people of Israel struggled with what, what, yeah, what they struggled with. They were complaining about the manna that God was providing. And if you know the story back in Exodus, they were complaining about it. And they were saying, they were, they were saying things like, if only we had died back in Egypt. they were complaining about the manna that God was providing. And they asked that question, and I go, what? You're kidding me, right? Do you remember Egypt? Do you remember that it's a desert? Do you remember that it was really an awful place? Do you remember the slavery part of that? They said, well, we had died there. When life gets hard, it's easy for us to doubt God's goodness. Continuous challenges is what makes life, is what marks life sometimes. It's not just the Christian life, but although it can increase in the Christian life. a favorite book when I was younger was Pilgrim's Progress. And the burden that Christian carried, if you're familiar with the book, the burden that Christian bears is oftentimes too heavy for him. And he recognizes that. Can I tell you this? The statement that God never gives us more than we can handle is not true. God always gives us more than we can handle. Because when it's more than we can handle, these are moments when we lean into who God is and we trust him and we rely on him. That's why he says things like, cast your burdens on me for I care for you. That's why he says in Matthew, come to me all you that labor under heavy burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest unto your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus prays here in these verses that we would see his glory for eternity. Here's a question I read this week. What would it look like, or how would your outlook of life change if you spent just a couple minutes each day thinking only of the glory that you will see when you're with Jesus? And of course, this takes us back to where Pastor Matt was last week, talking about the gospel. In verses 25 and 26, it says, Father, I desire that you, I desire that they, sorry, also... Let me start in verse 25, not 24. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, may be in, may, yeah, may be in them, and I in them. This is where we get back to the point of unity. Unity and togetherness is found in Christ. And I believe unity is a very difficult, difficult to come by, except in Christ. If we're trying to find unity in some other way that's not Christ, you're looking in the wrong place, folks. We live in a world that is anything but united. My prayer is that the church would be a place where unity rules a place where unity rules. I mentioned earlier that I would kind of fill you in briefly, that I would tell you later in my message what it looks like to set aside your rights and that it's not going to be easy. You ready for it? Here it is. The way to accomplish this is through humility. It's a personal posture. It's a personal position. It's a personal choice in the moment To make yourself less in Christ more. Christian humility is to recognize where I fall short and to see where God does not and is perfect in it in spite of me. In spite of me. C.S. Lewis said it this way humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility being the key to unity means that what I want and what I like and what I do doesn't matter. It's about us. It's about the glory of God. That's where the whole, whole book chapter started here was Jesus saying, God, it's about you, not about me. <laughs> where do I fit into this? I see the difference between those who will see God's glory and those who do not is faith. Faith in Christ alone to forgive them and to forgive you of all your sin in your life. And if you've never done that, you will be devoid of this unity. The unity that Scripture speaks of will be missing in your life outside of putting your faith in Christ and trusting him alone for your salvation. And you can do that today. Romans 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is done by putting your faith in him. And you can do that today. You can do that right now, here in the house, online. Putting your faith in Christ, saying, Jesus, I say yes to you. I put you in the position of leader and Lord of my life. You see, unity is not just something we're called to do here when we're in this building, but it's something we're called to do every day. Another place in the Bible, in Romans chapter 12, it says this, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably among the brothers. Live peaceably and by the way, this verse is not the end of trying. I've done all I can do. I've already tried. I've done so much as it depends on me. I've done I've I've done it. The point is that we live in a hostile world and we all struggle with sin and some with sin sometimes, and there will always be those that will oppose us within and outside the church. We are to display God's grace and love. And this passage ends with verse 21 in Romans chapter 12. It says this, it says, don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So we press on even when we feel we've done all that we can because it's not about me. I want to challenge you with a couple things this week in our next steps on your connection card. And you can see them on the back there. The first one is unity in the church and outside the church. Unity might mean for you that you need to reconcile with somebody. You need to fix something that's broken in a relationship. Maybe God's bringing someone to your heart and your mind right now. Guys, don't let that go. Let us pray for you. Mark it on your connection card, and we'll be praying for you this week as you do that. The second thing is reading through Romans 12 this week. Take some time and read through it and to see what unity looks like through that lens each day this week in an attempt to understand unity better. And you can check that box. We'd love to pray for you as well. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We do this at the end of every service. And the question, just give you a moment to ruminate on, is Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? pray for you too and we're going to sing one more song and if you want to pray i'm going to challenge you to slip out of your seat and find a prayer partner they are going to be in the four corners of the room up here in the front and in the back as well and they're here for you they're ready to pray with you we can pray about these areas of your life or other areas that maybe god has brought to your mind you don't have to be a member of lighthouse community to be prayed for anybody we can pray for (laughs) We'd love to pray with you and for you. You don't ever need to be embarrassed to pray either. It's always okay. I need prayer. You need prayer. We need prayer. We need to pray for each other. And if you want prayer, I'm going to pray for you. And then I want you to come down and find one of our prayer partners at the back or the front. And we'll pray with you as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name.